I was wrong. It's, it's not easier the second time. Uh, let's, go to, there you go. let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Uh, Father, we just thank you for tonight, God. Uh, we thank you so much, Father, just um, uh, the work you're doing in our lives, uh, the transformation that's happening, Father God, because of your Son and the sacrifice you made. Help us to make our lives a uh, living sacrifice unto you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're uh, asked to uh, share our testimonies. And uh, when doing that and, and doing some prep for that and studying about it, uh, a lot of things popped in my mind, a lot, of, a lot of places maybe to go, maybe not to go at this time. And, uh, but first, for me, it's always good to, if you're going to share on something or teach or something, uh, you should know what that means. So I wanted to look at what testimony is and why is it so important. Uh, testimony is a proof or evidence that something exists or is true. Uh, something that someone says, especially in a court of law, while formally promising to tell the truth. It's a witness. The English word, actually martyr, also comes from the Greek root uh, of this word. The implication that a witness is willing to die for his beliefs. In Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 11, it says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now really, when we're asked to share our testimonies, that's the first verse that really popped up in my head. Uh, was that verse for some reason. And I haven't read Revelation in a little while, but for some reason that just shot up real quick. And I thought it was very interesting that there's two things in here that said they overcame. And if you read before this, it's talking about overcoming the enemy, Satan, is coming at them. And that the blood of the Lamb, which is Christ, the cross, and the word of their testimony. And for that to be the two things they, they spotlight there. Obviously, we know how powerful the crosses and what that's done to our lives, but also the word of our testimony. And us, when we receive the cross, receive the forgiveness, the redemption, how powerful that is in our lives if we take a hold of it. They overcame him by the enemy, by the power of the cross, and it impacted their lives. Their stories is what impacted people. Uh, the word testimony can also be defined as a witness, one who testifies, and a witness to what? The transformation that God has caused in your life by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. In Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. In Romans 12.1-2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And when I read uh, Romans 12, especially in verse 2, again it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, and ple pleasing, and perfect will. So that word jumped out at me, transform. What transform us? Uh, what's the word transformation means? It's a complete or major change in someone or something's appearance or form. To change into another form, to transform a metamorphosis. So it talks about there when the cross and the gospel comes into our hearts, it transforms us. And I've got to be careful here because I, I could spend all day on this one. So something stood out at me in this. A metamorphosis, a change. It's, it's no secret if you know me. I, I'm a huge superhero fan. Uh, been since this little, and as I got older, it got worse. And um, 
and for some reason those characters always really jumped out at me. Um, especially their transformation. Especially uh, my favorite scenes in all the comics or all the movies is always when you know you see Clark Kent and, and he goes down the alleyway and he rips the shirt and, and he pops it out. Or when the Incredible Hulk and, uh, and Bruce Banner, when he's going through that transformation. Uh, for something uh, in my spirit, it's always sort of, I don't want to make it too spiritual, but something always stirred in me when I saw a person one way and then transform into something else. And now, and especially for me with the superheroes, what really stuck with that is they weren't just transforming to do something good for themselves. They were transforming to, to better other people, to help others. Um, I like to, before I tell my story, just share a few testimonies in Scripture that have impacted me, uh, especially some of these here recently. Um, for me, I think it's important for us when we read the Scriptures and we see these people's lives that it encourages us, that it gives us strength, and also it teaches us stuff about our own lives. Uh, first example in Scripture, and I brought it up here recently during uh, offering, is in Genesis 29, starting with verse 31. It's the story uh, of Leah, the wife of Jacob. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again and then gave birth to a son. She said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. And what was remarkable to me was Leah, if we know the scriptures, she, she wasn't loved. She wasn't even really chosen. Her, her, her husband didn't want her. Uh, he wanted the younger sister, Rachel. And, and it almost seems like the father sort of tricked Jacob a little bit to take so he can get rid of the older sister and, and, you know, because he knew she wasn't as, as attractive or, or for whatever reason. Uh, he didn't want her as well. So she was trying to find her identity in something. She was trying to find who she was. And, and like a lot of us do, and myself included, we, we look to other things sometimes. Uh, it's very remarkable if you look at the list of the son's names. Reuben means to see. She wanted her husband to see her. She wanted Jacob to see her, and he didn't want to see her. He wanted the other sister. So she was trying to find her identity in that. Uh, her second son, Simeon, to hear. Um, we, we want our spouses to hear us. We want people that we care, uh, that we care about in our lives to hear and, and that we can have a word or an influence in them. And the third one was Levi. She wanted to be attached to her husband. She wanted to be close to him. So each time with each of these, and she thought, this is the answer. If I just have a child, then my husband will see me, then he'll want to hear me, and then he'll want to be with me. And it's remarkable to me when it says, this time I will praise the Lord with the fourth child. And that was Judah, and then she named him Praise. Leah had an encounter with God. It doesn't tell us specifically the day and the time how it happened, but when she gets to that fourth child, it was no longer about Jacob. It was no longer about herself. It was about praising the Lord. Second example I like to uh, bring up in Scripture is Isaiah. In Isaiah uh, chapter 6, starting with verse 1, we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, 
and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim threw, uh, flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And, and I said, I, uh, Here I am, send me. Um, I apologize, excuse me. Uh, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Uh, in this passage, God stopped being a concept to Isaiah, and now he was a reality. It uh, reminds me of my own life and, and different places I've been, and especially in my earlier years. There, there's a time when you grow up, especially I grew up in the church a lot. Uh, you know, went to Sunday school, we, we watched the Christian cartoons, read the Bible stories. And so for me, I knew God very much as a concept, but it wasn't until later on in my life he became a reality when he shook my world, when he impacted me and it changed me. Uh, just, and because I'm that guy that likes, I like commentaries, I like all the behind the scenes and, and different things. A holy, 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 I thought it was very interesting. I, I heard a, a sermon talked about this, and they said that in the Hebrew language, when you wanted to see something was pure gold or it was a really deep pit, you would say it was gold, gold or it was a, a deep, deep pit, or, or, or something to use it twice. You would use the word twice instead of saying it was pure gold or it was very deep. And here, it's the only time in Scripture we ever see th- uh, um, Hebrew words three, uh, t- um, excuse me, um, put three times in a row is holy, holy, holy. And for me, that was just really neat to see how much of the holiness of God they were emphasizing here. And God's not holy. He's not holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And it's the only time in Scripture... Because when they use that with God, they use that three times. So that's just a little side thing there for you. Um, this right here, when Isaiah says, woe to me, it's the first time we hear Isaiah speak in Scripture. He had an encounter with God, and that allowed him to see who he really was. And I thought about that, that when we come face to face with God, uh, it reveals things to us. And I think sometimes, too, with us, that might scare us sometimes. So sometimes we might not press in. We might not try to um, get as close to him as we can because we're afraid of some of the stuff inside of us. We're afraid of some of the things that are going to come out. And it impacted Isaiah. Woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I have seen, my eyes have seen the Lord, uh, the King, the Lord Almighty. I thought it was neat that it was, I am unclean. Not only are the people around me unclean, but he looked at himself as well, too. I know sometimes it's hard, and sometimes even myself, I have to, I have to check my heart with things because we can get so focused on other people's sin, what everyone else is doing around us. But it, at the end of the day, I'm accountable for my sin. I'm not saying, and please don't hear, we need to call sin, sin. I don't ever need to compromise sin or not call it what it is. But I need to look at my own self first, my own heart. Once God taken away Isaiah's sin, he is now qualified to proclaim the only hope of the world, the overruling grace of God. I thought it was neat here that we have to take care of the sin first. We have to take care of the, the issue. Uh, if someone has cancer, someone has some kind of illness, you know, you, you have to get that fixed. If I've broken my leg, I can't go finish the race until I've healed that, 
that wound, heal that, that flaw in me, and, and heal that back, and then I can go and do what God wants me to do. The uh, third one here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel 3, starting with verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I'm sorry, let me do a little preview. Um, I didn't want to put the whole verse there. but uh, So the fiery furnace, for, for those that know, and those that don't, Shadrach and Meshach were uh, part of the exile that went to Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar put up this big statue, and he uh, said, anyone, uh, everyone in the nation needs to bow down and worship this. If not, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not, they replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the Lord we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What made these three men trust in God so much? Uh, It's amazing to me that um, their hearts here, they knew who their God was and what he was capable of. But even if he, they knew what he was capable of, but even if God chose for whatever reason not to save them, their devotion was to God, no matter what the circumstance. I th- in my personal opinion, this is one of the most crucial passages in Scripture because it cuts right to the heart of the matter. They are going to love and honor God, even if it meant their lives, because they believed in his wisdom and love was superior to theirs. How can we know who God is and what he is capable of? Uh, one of my favorite uh, um, pastors I like to listen to and, and learn from a lot is Timothy Keller. He's a, um, he's a pastor in uh, Manhattan. and just love his heart for the Word and how he likes to dig into the Scriptures, but also how he's able to um, extract it and explain it and make it tangible. He goes, We know God is infinitely loving and infinitely wise. We know this because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We know God is infinitely loving and wise because of the cross. Jesus took his hands off his life out of love for you. Now will you take your hands off of your life for him? Shadrach, Meshach didn't know the cross at this point. They knew how the relationship with God, same yesterday, today, and forever, but they didn't, they, they were before the cross. We've seen the cross. We've seen the impact and the power of, that it has. And if Christ was able to let go of his life for us, are we not also supposed to do the same for him? That it's not about our life. It's not about what we want in our needs. No matter what you do in this situation, God, I'm going to follow you. So, there are these, that's uh, these people's testimony. I just want to share some scriptures, some different things in my life, I mean, and the scripture that it has impacted my life. Now, tonight, I'm going to tell you my testimony. I'm qualified to tell you my story because I was there. I was a witness to it. <laughs> Even though I can't say that everything there was clear and I, I remember everything crystal clear, there might be some people around me that may remember it better. But it's not just my story. Other people's lives are intertwined into mine. So I'm going to be careful with some of the information I, I, uh, I talk about tonight. I, I like to be real open book, but again, it's not just my story. But ultimately, this is actually his story. It's God's story, and I'm just a very small part of it. And it's about how he's impacted my life and what he has done. The times I followed him faithfully and the times I fell on my face. So ultimately, this is a story of a father and a son. Those of you who don't know, my name is David Michael Mason. I was born March 12, 1975, 1979. I'm getting old. In Dayton, Ohio, at uh, what hospital, Mom? 
Miami Valley. There you go. So you got that information now. I uh, was born to Chris uh, Six and Billy Mason. Um, my, my early years, um, and, uh, and I have a sister too that's, that's three years younger. Um, I don't remember too much about the first four or five years, you know. Uh, I've been told things were hard, things were, things were rough, but um, I didn't remember too much of that. And, and when I started gaining a lot of my memory and started retaining things, it was probably around the age of four or five. And that's when my mom and dad, um, through a, f- uh, a family friend of ours, the Johnsons, uh, le- helped lead them to the Lord. And they accepted God into their heart. And uh, it was some really good years. Uh, I love the 80s anyway, but it was, uh, and it's, uh, but it was some good years. And, and I remember growing up, you know, we would sit down and we would pray together as a family. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the cartoons I would watch, and actually, fortunately, I had some really good ones too. And I remember just reading the Word as a family, going to church together. And even I remember just, uh, it was real impactful, is they would have uh, Bible studies at the house. They would have friends over. My dad's a musician. And so he was always in different Christian bands and stuff like that, and they would have people over at the house to, uh, just to, to fellowship and, and share. You know? And I remember them sitting around a table praying together. And it just sort of, that was sort of my culture. That was sort of my upbringing. You know? uh, and that really, uh, not until I got older did I realize how much that impacted me and how much that, that put roots in me that really desire those things. Um, but I grew up in a lot of that. Um, loved to go into Bible studies, even as a young kid. That, that's something, the, 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 um, studying the Word and knowing the Word and trying to bring things out of it as, as a young child was something that God really birthed in me and something I had a real uh, desire for. Um, so with him, again, I said I mentioned that my dad is a uh, musician, and so he wanted to um, pursue music. And, and Nashville is where you, you really do for that. And not only is country, but Christian. And, uh, and that's another thing, too, music uh, as a child. Since my dad is a musician, and he would play in uh, the 50s and 60s bands that would travel around, like Panama City and all that. So I grew up on a lot of the old... Uh, 50s and 60s music, and I have a real love for that. And um, but also too, they would listen to a lot of Christian music. So people like Michael W. Smith, Wayne Watson, Striper, Amy Grant. A lot of that was in my upbringing, and I had a real hunger just for the the. Not only was it good music in there, but the the lyrics that came out in it. Um, so we moved to Nashville in the winter of 1988. I remember we came up in a, in a big yellow van, had no heat, uh, had no back seats. So me and my sister were like sort of wrapped in like little burritos in these little blankets. And uh, with no heat, and we, we came up in the winter uh, of 88. And when we uh, came here, we uh, stayed with some friends of Dad's, and we uh, started going to Belmont Church, which is neat because I know some of you guys have some roots here at, at Belmont. And, uh, and that was a neat experience. That really became, um, I was homeschooled for a few years around that time. And so my mom, uh, during the week, would work uh, nursery at the schools. And so we got to hang around a lot of people there, get to know people. Uh, different musicians around town like George Concini, uh, Scott Douglas from Whiteheart. I grew up around his kids and his family and got to know them and, and all that. And, but it was um, a certain man that was one of the youth pastors, a man called Paul Billington, had a really big p- impact on my life. Um, you heard like the hound of heaven, how the Holy Spirit goes after you and they won't leave you alone and they bug you about certain things and they just won't quite. This guy was, and I was more reclusive, more just stuck with my mom. I, I didn't really interact much. I didn't, you know. Um, but around the age of 12 or so, he kept coming after me and, and kept, you know, hey, when are you going to join youth group? When are you going to, you know, get involved? And I know Ronnie's talking about how important that is to, for us to connect with other Christians and, and have a, um, an influence on each other. And, and so Paul kept, you know, bugging me in the halls and kept asking me in a very polite, very, very kind way. But he wouldn't leave it alone. And finally, I buckled and, and I went on a youth retreat uh, with him and, and, uh, and started getting involved in the youth ministry there. Uh, that was led by a man called Mark West um, when I was there. And just had a really neat atmosphere with a lot of neat youth, um, leaders and started to get, get some really neat um, uh, friendships in that time. 
Uh, so during that, in my junior high, and then starting my freshman year of high school, it was 94, 95, um, combination between being in that youth group and then at McGavick High School, there was an FCA um, meeting because I did sports. I played soccer and basketball and different things like that. And um, McGavick High School had a, you know, in the whole cafeteria there, they had a meeting. And, um, and I consider myself a Christian. I, you know, I consider myself, I, you know, I made a decision to follow Christ. And, but something that was really stern to me in that meeting, I, uh, you, know, you know when you get when the Holy Spirit's really tugging on you and God's really pounding on you, you know, your heart starts to beat real fast. And it's not because you had a bad burrito or something. It's just really, he's really tugging at your heart. And, um, and, and something was stirring up in me a little bit. And it was just sort of, and he said, anyone that wants to, you know, give their lives to Christ, um, you know, please stand up. And people around me knew, knew I was a, a Christian or a professed Christian and all that. And, and I stood up. Something in me would not leave me alone. God was knocking on my heart. I had to answer or ignore it. I had a choice to make. And I stood up. And something happened in that moment. There, there was a transformation in my life. You know, the glasses came off, the shirt ripped. And, and by no means could I take off. I, like, jumped off and hit the floor. But there's something that, that hit that something changed inside. Uh, something stirred in me. I don't know if that's the day I, you know, became a, a Christian or not. I, I don't know. I don't know at a, a young age. If, I mean, I believe I, I believed it then, you know, and, but that's neither here nor there. I just know at that moment there was some shift. There was a transformation. And, and the word and, and fellowship and, and the church became different to me. I saw it with different eyes. It's like the blinders came off. Before, I remember sitting, I cannot wait to go get three cups of water somewhere during the service because I'm just itching. You know, as, as a young kid, I just I couldn't sit still. And then all of a sudden, what the pastor was teaching on and what the youth service was about just sort of came alive to me. It's like, it's like I heard it for the first time. And you could tell the Holy Spirit was working inside of me. Um, so between going there and uh, also to, and just sort of, I remember around 1650, I got my first youth Bible. And, and it was great because it had all the questions. And, and as a teenager, though, you always look at the ones up on sex. You know, you just do. I don't know what it is about being a teenager, but you sort of, that's the ones you go to. But, it, you know, sort of because that's sort of, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. And, um, but in between those, you know, I'm like, oh, that's what that's about. I shouldn't do that. Okay. Um, you also flip through some of the other things. And, and I remember the Proverbs and the Psalms just jumped out at me. And, and, and the warnings the Proverbs gave. And, and the Psalms on how, you know, it doesn't matter how you feel right now. What matters is that he's still on the throne. And that when your emotions, because I don't know, they say as a teenager your emotions are haywire. I don't, I don't think it ever stopped, you know. But um, especially it seems when your emotions really start to, to play with you a lot. And you've you got to have that balance. You've got to have something that's a bigger foundation than your emotions. And for me, that was the word of God. And standing on his promises and standing on, on what he, he promised me in his word. And standing on that and, and trying to base my life off that now. Not what I felt, not how my emotions were playing me, but basing off of his word. So in the year of 95, we uh, moved to Smyrna. We knew the, uh, the McLaughlins. They were a family in uh, Belmont Church. And I think they, they tended here for a little bit. And I was very close to that family. It was like a second home to me. And they, they lived out in Smyrna, so we were out here some and really liked the area and the town and the schools. So in 95, we, we moved out. And Eric, when they, because from Smyrna to Nashville where Belmont's at, it's a little bit of a drive, uh, you know, a couple times a week. And uh, so I remember there was a few weeks he says, hey, we're not going to church tonight because that was usually my ride. Um, but we're going to go visit, you know, Smyrna Assembly at the time. And would you like to come? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great, you know. And, um, and I knew, actually, Isaac a little bit, because Isaac had visited with Eric. Uh, Isaac Meek visited with Eric McLaughlin, my friend, at Belmont. So I sort of knew him a little bit, and I came to a youth group here. And uh, Dennis Mahoney was the youth pastor. Richard Jacobson was one of the youth leaders. Him and Beth were maybe married just a year or so. And just really, again, it, it was a very, um, we were in the, the, we used to be a little trailer portable out there. 
And uh, it just came in, and it didn't take long just to, just to fit in and just to really, those guys really just embraced me. Uh, I mean, I was the outsider. I didn't really know anyone too well. But guys like Isaac and, and a few old school people, Justin Steininger, you know, Robert Sweeney, Greg Creasy, um, a very neat thing happened at, at that point. Uh, something, um, a, a neat group of guys started to really hang out. Not only did we all go to school together, we went to church together. And, and then when we weren't doing that, we usually at one of each other's house together. And what that did is, and what that created was, was a, uh, an atmosphere for me at school, at church, and also when we were out on the weekends, where it was a pretty safe haven. You know, uh, by no means were we perfect, you know. Um, I'm not going to tell you that. No, that's not, that's not appropriate. So, um, but we weren't perfect. But for the most part, uh, it, was a, a very, um, it was a group of very grounded young men, which young, grounded and young men don't really go together too much. But these group of guys were. Uh, they loved the Lord. Uh, we loved each other. And, and we covered and surrounded each other. And, and in that group of guys, it was, you know, I've seen a few groups come up throughout the years like that, but it was a very, very special group. And I remember, too, Isaac, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, Isaac had keys to the building. So we would some nights go, and we would worship. And uh, uh, we'll talk later if that's inside. I apologize. Um, but we'll, uh, <laughs> and we would come, and we'd come in the, in the old sanctuary. This wasn't built yet. And you just had a five guys on a Friday or Saturday night. There, instead of going out or doing whatever, we would come and we would worship together. And we would one of them, a lot of the guys started playing guitar around that time. So Isaac and Justin and, and all of them started picking up guitars. And, and we would come here and just worship the Lord together. And we would dance together. And for me, that was so impactful for, for a group of guys that come together, no agenda, but to worship God and get on our faces before them. And when you saw us Sunday morning, we were doing the same thing because it was also what we were doing throughout our week. And it was part of our lives. And we weren't being fake that we didn't, you know, there were no girls here we're bringing, trying to show off for, nothing like that. It was just a bunch of guys on their face before the Lord. So um, growing up, I, uh, you know, all of us have different strengths and different weaknesses. Um, I, I didn't go party a lot. Again, the group of guys really kept us grounded. Um, we didn't go out. We didn't get drunk a lot. We didn't do a lot of other things. But my weakness, my area that I um, struggled in was, um, was girls. And it wasn't, you know, girl on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It wasn't anything like that. But it was, if I get close to you, and I really start to like you, I'm going to put myself in areas, and I'm going to slip. And, and, and so what it was, was, and at that age, having the knowledge but not really having the uh, perception, like, no, you don't know how serious this can be. You don't know how dangerous this can be. You, you need to run, literally, if you, right now, if you can. And I, I just, I didn't put, I, I put myself in bad situations, and, and things happened. Um, because you go in there thinking, oh, you know, because in my head I'm saying, God, no, me and you were good. We're going to wait till we get married. We're going to, you know, we're not going there. That's, I'm, I'm, in my mind, you know, so that you're very young, that you sort of about to go into battle, I'm going to wipe them all out, and then you find out, you know, you, uh, it's a much different story. Um, so that was the thing I struggled with in, in high school. Uh, so I would be in a relationship with a girl. We would get close. You know, we'd put ourselves in an area and do things we shouldn't. And then I would feel convicted, break it off, and then move on and say, oh, here's the next girl, and now this is going to be different. But the, the core issue, the core sin was still, I didn't, I didn't take that out. The cancer was still in there. I just sort of cuffed her. I figured, oh, I just, you know, we get rid of the, you know, we go on to another girl that's more holy and spiritual. And, and, and you know, and stuff. Because we know I'm, I'm not in this area. So, and so, but that would never fix the problem. So, uh, high school goes on. Um, Home life is, is getting rough at this point. Um, 
and it's a point where I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with my life after this. I really don't know. Um, the gifts and the talents God gave me are, are, I don't I'm still trying to figure some of them out, but they weren't something you probably make a lot of money doing, and I wasn't really sure exactly, but I knew I wanted a family. I knew I wanted that. I knew I wanted um, some wife and kids, and, uh, and that was really the, the thing. I w- a few, a couple, you know, we'll get, we'll get one or two in there. And uh, so six months after high school, I married this girl in high school, and, and it wasn't Victoria, unfortunately. And, um, and, you know, it was, I mean, six months after high school, that's pretty quick. And you just met her your senior year of high school, and she's in the military, so you guys are not even really hanging out. You see her, like, maybe during, you know, every couple months. And it was just a very dysfunctional relationship. And it's very interesting looking back at Donna, I mean, McLaughlin's family I spoke about earlier, you know, and I don't know if it was, hey, Dave, don't marry, we'll do this, but I think it was very sincere. We will pay for your college. You can stay with us. Here's a car. We will take care of you if you choose to, to go the other way, because I think they could see the danger. They could see the warning, warning danger, you know, and they offered all that to me, and, and not until later that really impacted me what they were offering me and what they were trying to do for me, I see. But for whatever reason, you know, when you're, you're and I say that age, but really it's not that age, because we do it as, as older, too. We, we sort of got our, our mind set a certain way. We sort of, you know, get that tunnel vision. And it's not looking at God, it's looking at something else. And we walk off the ledge. And so I walked off the ledge and I married her six months after high school. And it didn't take quick by God's grace. I mean, it didn't take long, I'm sorry, by God's grace, uh, before things come crashing down quick. Um, we lived in Kansas. And it was, uh, and again, it was that point where I was traveling back and forth some because she was gone a lot of the time. So I would go visit for a few weeks and come back and, work and be around family. And as I came back to be around family for a little bit at this time, I got a call uh, saying, you don't need to come back this time. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about things. And I was like, what are you talking about? What's, what's going on? And uh, like, no, seriously, I'm just don't come back. Uh, I'm not sure what's, what's going to happen. And so it really threw me off. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Um, uh, things were not perfect by no means, but I didn't, I didn't see that coming. And so I was like, no, I'm still going to come. So I drove 12 hours to Kansas, and it, it, it got a job and, and ready to, no, you know, you can feel what you want to feel, but we're married now, and we're, we're going to go through this, you know, and come what may, and, um, and she wants to stay at the house, and, and it was just very, it was like I was looking at a different person. Something had shifted, something transformed in the other end, and something was different, and so I stayed there for a while, and it, and it got very unbearable, so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back home, get around my family around my church family, and just, we'll, we'll see what God does, you know, not giving up on this yet, but she wants to stay at the house, and it was just very, I knew no one there, so I drove back home, uh, packed up the car, and came back, and said, so we'll just, we're going to give it some time, just going to pray, and just, things will work out, well, things never really worked out, and I remember one time, excuse me, that I was, got a job here, and I call it the disturbance in the force, when you know something is off, and you, you can feel it in your spirit, again, it's not the bad lasagna, it's not there is something off in my spirit that not, has nothing to do with the physical, has nothing to do with anything else. And I call that disturbance in the force. And I got one at work, right there. There was no warning, so I just remember just sitting down, something was off. And I called her and I said, hey, are you seeing other people? And uh, like, yeah, yeah, I am. And I just remember just what that did and what that shattered. And, and as hard as I was at that moment, well, God showed me with that. It's like, Dave, every time you leave me, every time you put your focus on something, every time you walk out the door, say, God, not me and you right now, there's something else. That's what you do to me. And as painful as that was to go through, and, and, I, and I'm, 
I try to look at that very much like I, I wasn't flawless either. You know, I made my mistakes in the relationship and uh, not in faithfulness, but other things where I could have done a lot better. And we're both just two young kids. I just didn't have a clue. But going through that so much, coming down here, I'm so thankful God allowed me to go through that because I went through the fire. I was in church. We, we had services like Sunday. We had Bible studies. I mean, six, seven days a week, I was at the building. And it showed me in a crisis. It showed me when my whole world, literally my world came tumbling down. Never been stabbed or gutted, but it felt like an uh, emotional stab or gut. And, and nothing you could do could take that pain away. Not even, it was just something you were going to, it's like breaking something or, or having something taken. You're going to have to walk through that why it hurts because there's no uh, anesthesia. There's nothing we can give you that's going to take this away. You're just going to have to learn to walk through the fire. And so in that moment in my life, I had to learn to hang on to God. I had options. I had, I had different decisions I had to make. What was I going to hang on to when everything came tumbling down? Me and my parents got uh, divorced a month apart. So not only was my personal life was going on, the family as a whole it was falling apart. And I chose to, not perfectly, but I chose to hang on to him because that's all I had. I knew going out doing other things, it was, it was going to make the situation worse. So by God's grace, he gave me the strength to hang on to him through that period. I gave my marriage a certain period of time. So this is, you know, I felt my spirit, okay, I'm going to give it to the, this certain amount of time, six months, nine months, and we're going to see what God does. I'm not going to focus on anything but restoring my marriage and getting close to God. At that time, it was... Uh, 2000. It was. I remember um, December 31st, 1999. Worked at Bell Forge Theater, and um, sitting there, Y2K, and it was just me and a Bible on the couch, and that was the date I gave it to. And it was it was at that time after this got it. If things don't shift, then then I'm feeling in my spirit. Then we, this is not what you wanted. And so after that, that night, I sat with God and I just prayed. And shortly after that, God started moving things in me. Uh, the marriage, obviously, was, was done and fell apart. And I remember, too, there was a service. It was two weeks after the divorce, and I remember just breaking down. I broke down a lot. Um, I remember Margaret one time coming to me and just holding me like a mother held a child, and it impacted me so much because I was hurting so much all the time. It was probably rough being around me. Uh, no one ever said that, but I know me, and I know how emotional and how I could get. It was probably hard being around me because the guy was broken and just hurting all the time. You know, Sometimes those are hard to be around people you love when they're hurting so bad, because that stuff comes out so much. And I remember two weeks after divorce, just crying to God on the floor, and then something just released. Something in me just broke, and it was done, you know? And it was, I still had bitterness, I had to deal with the whole comic collection action figures that were gone, which later on hurt more than the other stuff. But it was sort of, you know, it's like, looking back, that's the stuff I, you know, but, um, so... But about six weeks after that, a month, it's, it's blurry, I met my wife today, Victoria. And, you know, talk about, wife has been a blessing, but talk about trying to learn from your mistakes and handle the next one a little bit better. Um, you know, sometimes it takes us a, a while sometimes, some of us a little slower, slower learning, and I was in this area. And uh, not long after I met Victoria, we're having a baby. And... Um, I mean, it was, it was early, guys. I just, I'm not going to give details, but it was early. And, uh, and again, you, you're, not, you're not going in thinking, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is not, you know. You put yourself in situations that are not wise. The enemy knows how to take you out. And he will. And so, again, just putting myself in situations. God bless her. She was um, not a Christian yet, but she was actually searching. So we, well, that was something we talked about a lot. She talked about God, and she was asking a lot of questions about God. Even before I met her, I learned later 
that she would talk to different people, different beliefs and different religions, but Christianity was always the one that really pressed on her. And so we would talk to her, and, and you know, I'd try to pray with her some, and, and um, I had a bed laying on hands joke, but we're going to leave that alone. And um, so, you know, and then when I find out, I get a call, we're actually out of town, and, uh, and she's like, David, I'm pregnant. And it was just like, oh my gosh, well, you know, Dave, did, did we not learn, do we not, you know? And God bless her, she was 18, I was 21, and uh, her mom liked me until then. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, and I never, I never met her dad until the day I told him, sir, your, your daughter's pregnant by me, and it's their only child. And, uh, I mean, I thought we were going to have the, uh, you know, if you've ever seen Wayne's World 2, where the, the samurai swords come out and they're about to go at it, I really thought we were having a, a showdown here and, you know, dubbed subtitles. And so it was, <laughs> but he was very gracious, more gracious than I would have been probably, you know. And, and so there the story begins that, you know, here we are, and, and we're doing life the way we feel or the way we're doing it on our flesh, and things are just falling apart again. And again, so when things fall apart, and this is self-inflicted. This is not like, you know, uh, even the marriage before, that was self-inflicted, you know? I didn't ask you, hey, go, go do this stuff, but I should have had more wisdom. And, uh, and so to, and to, to do that and to know these are the mistakes I've made, these are God, what, you know, I just seem like I can't do anything right right now. And so we go through this. We did about six months of marriage counseling with Ronnie before the marriage just to make sure, are we getting married because we got pregnant? Are we getting married because we're having a baby together? Are we really doing this because this is where we really care about each other and we want to walk this thing out together, you know? So we did six months of marriage counseling with Ronnie before the marriage, and God bless him, three months after the marriage. Just to make sure, you're not going to be able to deal with everything, but we're going to try to deal with as much as we can and, and, and to at least have some kind of focus and direction. Um, and it seems about like every year or two we had another child. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. And so we had twins almost five years ago, and she finally said, you do something about it or I will. So, and, um, so but six kids later, and, and, you know, it's God bless them, Jonathan Grisham and, and Brittany just got engaged and, and married and, and all that. The day after their engagement, I go up to them, and I hear about it. I say, hey, congratulations, that's awesome, that's awesome. But, man, marriage is hard. <laughs> you know, I feel like I just see the bubble pop a little bit. It's like, no, 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 no. You need to understand it is hard, you know, stuff like that. And the timing, I'm still working on my timing. And, uh, and my filter. <laughs> Obviously my filter, too. And um, I had to go to him a couple times. Like, I apologize, but no, seriously, it is hard. And, um, but again, a lot of some of that stuff was, was self-inflicted, you know, uh, but also the couples that, that did a lot of things the right way. And, and, and marriage is hard. Just like marriage is hard. If you don't know, you know it, it is hard because you're taking two people from two different worlds, us two different cultures, two totally different upbringings, and you're trying to put that together. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, the glue, holding that together, even if everything looks okay on the outside, you're going around the block a few times, you know better. Right? You have to have him as the center, as the glue that holds everything together. And by God's grace, he gave me a woman that was seeking after him. We are not the, uh, this is not the norm. You, you don't come back 13 years later with six kids and love each other more, closer. And don't be wrong, we're, we're not out of the woods. I don't think we ever will be. Um, but, but there is a, a rest and a security there that I love you, you love me. doesn't mean we might not want to, you know, you know, go at each other sometimes. But we love the Lord. 
and to find that and know that you have that. There's such a peace I can't explain. I've seen it on both different ends, guys. So to know that you love the Lord. And we don't know what happens 10, 20 years down the road. We don't, guys. No, no, one's, no one's guaranteed anything here. Um, but to know that he's going to take care of that. And he's going to, um, if I trust him and if I walk in him. And again, we didn't do things the right way. But his grace still covered us. All right? So forgive me, I'm way off track. Let me see here. Our sins and the things we go through, uh, our mistakes, uh, things that happen to us, pains that are, are, are put upon us and those that are self-inflicted. I think it's important, not all of our dirt needs to be shared. Um, but there are moments and there are times we need to share the things we go through. Psalm 51 says, David said, talking about his incident with Bathsheba, Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. The peace of God to me, guys. If you had God's peace as a foundation in your life, you can literally go through hell and back. If he is your rock, if he is your foundation, you can go through hell and back. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. It's important that we are open and we share our lives. Again, we have to use wisdom in that as well. But it's important we say, hey, I've been there. I understand the pain you're going through. I understand, and I know that you put the pain on you. But listen to me, there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train. It's God's grace, mercy, and hope. And he can get you through anything, guys. He did not promise you you are not, I promise you you are going to suffer. He did promise you you are going to hurt. You will go through the fire, but the fire is good for you because the fire purifies you and makes you holy and makes you like him. No, no trial is good in its moment. But God, through every, if we hang on to him through all that, and if there's anything in my life I can, I can sort of, as a last little thing here to say, hang, hang on to Christ, hang on to God. You don't know the outcome, I was praying so much for my first wife. God, restore that. Restore that marriage. Restore this, this broken marriage so you can get the glory, God. I am so thankful he answered that prayer in a different way. I am so thankful that in that moment, because I couldn't see what's going to happen, guys. We don't know what's going to You guys are going through pains and going through hurts in your life right now. We don't know how this is all going to turn out. But we know if we walk with him hand in hand, saying, God, even if you don't deliver us, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. Our lives are a testimony. In Matthew 5, it talks about we're a city on a hill, a light on a stand. Let your light lead people to Christ. The ultimate testimony in this life is Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. He is our testimony. He's just saying, you know what, God? I'm going to look to you. I'm going to look to you for my strength. I'm going to hold on to you through these hard times. Our lives are testimonies. And we need to share them. We need to share them. And and, and we need to be open. It's hard to be open. You have to be vulnerable, and you're probably going to take some hits. But when you do it unto him, remember, he took hits for us. We need to take the hits for him. The worship team would like to come up. This race is hard. It will cost you everything. You are going to struggle. You are going to fail. But if you maintain the course, if you don't give up, you will be refined. 
You will be pure, and most importantly, you will be his. Lastly here, um, music has been a very important um, part of my life. Again, growing up with a musician, it was just in the house, and you just heard I had a love and a feel for it. Um, God didn't give me those talents. Um, and it's probably fortunate, because I would have pursued it if he did. He didn't give me the voice as beautiful as Robert is or the, the, the instrumental talent as some of these people. But he gave me a passion for music. And he gave me a passion that sort of hits me in my soul. And so closing here, I'd just like to read the lines to the song you guys probably already know. But the testimony keeps going. It doesn't stop. Until I take my last breath, the testimony keeps going. And this right here, and where I am at in my life, my life is my testimony now. You call me upon the waters. The great unknown. Where my feet may fell. And there I find you in the mystery. And the ocean's deep. My faith will stand. I call upon your name. And keep my eyes above the waves. When the oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours and you are mine. Your grace abounds in the deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. My feet may fail and fear surrounds me. You've never failed and you won't start now. So I will call upon your name. And I will keep my eyes above the waves. When the oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For again, you are mine. And I am yours. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters. Wherever you would call me, take me deeper than my feet would ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. So again, I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When the oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, and you are mine. Amen. Can you just stand? We're going to just sing this prayer to him
way of blessing or Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, God, let us show love. Where there is injury, pardon. When there is discord, harmony. Where there is error, the truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, let us show hope. Where there is darkness, let us show light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life.